0: Welcome to another special edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Assistant Director for Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this special episode, we are dropping in on a presentation from the Black Law Students Association and the Career and Professional Development Center about navigating the transition from law school to the profession. The guest speakers and moderators for this one include Jennifer Richardson, class of 2004, Albert Berry, class of 2003, Candice Williamson, class of 2018, Mishka Woodley, class of 2016, Serena Whitelake, and also Wale Salise of the class of 2019. And there'll be more information about them in just a second when we get to the presentation. Before we get there, though, as always, make sure to check albanylaw.edu/slash coronavirus just to stay up to date on everything happening on campus. You can also follow us on social media, all the major services: Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course, Instagram. Never forget Instagram. And then we are also on all the major podcast services and on SoundCloud if you like this podcast and you want to hear other episodes of the show. Enough from me, though. Let's get over to the presentation.
1: With us this evening, Um, it is my pleasure um, to introduce our moderator this evening. But before I do that, two housekeeping things. One, we are gonna be recording this evening's program for any students who are unable to join us so that we can send it out at a later time. And two, if you have questions and we do encourage you to please participate throughout the program, feel free to throw them in the chat and I will monitor the chat and read them out loud. And um, also feel free to raise your hand. We will save some time at the end of the program for any questions that may come up as well. All right, without further ado, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you tonight, Jennifer Richardson, who will be moderating our program. Jennifer is a senior vice president at Patrick B. Jenkins and Associates. She has 14 years of experience working in New York City and New York State government, analyzing and advising on state and city legislative and regulatory proposals and budgetary items. Her most recent experiences include successful legislative advocacy on behalf of minority and women-owned business enterprises, criminal justice reform, the professions, and the financial sector. Jennifer previously served as the Deputy Director for Mayor Bill de Blasio's State Legislative Affairs Office. Her portfolio included education, health, social services, immigrant affairs, law department, and technology. She was also the Director of State Legislative Affairs for the New York City Department of Education, where she drafted legislation and facilitated the passage of mandatory pre-K in New York City and electronic asset access to individualized education programs. She is currently the President of the Capital District Black and Hispanic Bar Association and an Albany Law alum. Welcome, Jennifer.
2: Thank you. I'm excited
1: to be here tonight. So now, without further ado, I would ask our panelists to please introduce yourselves. And I'm going to start with my top right corner, Serena white Lake, alum and adjunct instructor. Serena, can you give us a little bit about your background?
3: Hi, everyone. Happy hump day. I hope you were able to go outside and enjoy the this mild weather. I was out walking for 40 minutes, so I feel pretty accomplished. Anyway, um, upon graduating from law school over a decade ago, I clerked for two years at the Court of Appeals. And there I met Judge Theodore Jones, who inspired me to do real estate closings. He said that the first couple times you do it, it could be very difficult, but then you know, it could become second nature. And so that stuck in my head. And then a few years later, I started doing closings. And now I teach real estate transactions as an adjunct at Albany Law. Um, my full-time job is as counsel at the New York State Office of Children and Family Services and the Employment Law Unit where I handle discrimination complaints by and against employees. I defend the agency and workplace discrimination complaints. Um, I'm also on the Racial Equity Learning Exchange for my job and the Diversity Committee, and we take that very seriously. We just had a a wonderful um, program for all of our state employees for Black History Month today. It was great. I also I also serve on the Albany Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, and, what do I do? And, and I'm in uh, Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated.
1: Nice
2: to see everyone.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer. And now I'm gonna to go to Candace Williamson. Candace, can we hear a little bit about your background?
4: Yes, hi everyone. I'm Candace, I graduated Albany Law School in 2018, um, I am an Excelsior Service Fellow. So I work for uh, New York State Government uh, with the Governor's Executive Chamber. Um, while I was at Albany Law School, I was a member of the Government Law Review um, and BALSA, a very active member, but didn't serve on the board. And now I do serve on a board with Jennifer. Um, for the Capital District Black and Hispanic Bar Association. I'm the treasurer.
1: Thank you, Candice. Now, um, did I see Al Berry on my screen? Yes, Al, can we hear a little bit about your background?
5: Sure, so sorry for the background and where I'm coming from. i meant to be home by 430, I'm out in Chicago. Uh, something came up at work, so I'm on my way there now, but I'll be there soon. Um, I graduated Albany Law School in 2003, the year ahead of Jennifer, Um, and I went to Clifford Chance Law Firm in New York. I was there for three years. Uh, After I left there, I went to Manhattan DA's office for about four and a half years. Uh, Since then, moved out to Chicago. I've worked in a couple of places since I've gotten out here, Chicago Transit Authority, um, the uh, Illinois Attorney General's Office, Prosecutor Financial Crimes. And now I'm at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago in the violent crime section. I was a member of BALSA while I was there, did some mediation, um, and also uh, we did the the trial team stuff while I was there. Um, So I'm happy to be here and I'm open for any questions anybody may have.
1: Thank you so much. And finally, Mishka, can we please uh, hear a little bit about your background?
6: Absolutely. Good evening, everybody. I apologize. I just got out of a meeting. Um, My name is Mishka Woodley, and I'm an associate attorney at Dowling Law and um, I'm also uh, co-chair for the Albany County Bar Association's Diversity Internship Program. I graduated from Albany Law School in 2016. It feels like yesterday, but I'm realizing that it's really not. Uh, <laughs> I focus primarily in healthcare and human services, not-for-profits, and areas of that nature. I worked in two primary uh, private practice firms prior to my transition. Today is actually my first day in my new firm. And, um, While I was in law school, I was involved in um, some of the affinity group associations and um, participated in a lot of the internships and things there uh, during that time. And I look forward to talking to all of you.
1: Thank you, Mishka. I want to note that, um, let me just do a call out. uh, Wale, are you on the line? Okay. So I think Wale Salas will be joining us and I'm sure that he will like all of you, has been a little detained and will jump on when he can. All right, Jennifer, I turn it over to you.
2: All right, great, thank you. So thanks everyone for attending. Um, let's see, first question is gonna be, what advice would you give to your past self? So I was gonna start with Al, but he's driving because he's um, been out the longest. So we're gonna turn, start with Serena. What advice would you give to your past self?
3: Um, I would tell myself to write as much as possible when you're in law school, um, because writing is is such a huge skill um, and it really does set you apart. Like in in my unit at my job, um, there's there's a few of us who are relied upon to do the bulk of the writing. Um, There are a lot of successful attorneys who don't do a whole lot of writing, but if you do do that, it really does set you apart so any opportunity that you have to learn how to to improve to continue improving your writing and your research um, I would say definitely do that you know don't be afraid to get feedback because people have different styles um, when I was in law school I interned for uh, judge Denny Chin um, when he was a district court judge in New York City and I was able to um, help write a pretty big opinion and and that, Really, really helped strengthen my writing skills, which I continue to work on every single day. So realize that you're going to learn something every single day, and um, you know, continue to be open. I would tell myself when I was when I was a younger to just be open to as many opportunities for writing as possible, because you it will absolutely benefit you.
2: Good answer, Serena. I agree with that. Uh, a lot of people can't write at all, even amongst the attorneys, or they're still writing with a lot of—I don't know—it's distracting. And so, if you are a good writer, you're an effective communicator. It does—it does give you an edge, truly over people. And I think as you're looking to you know leave law school and get out there and get promoted, you do want an edge. So I, I agree with that point, Serena. My next question I'm going to give to Candice, because she's one of the newest people out. Um, what is your best advice for the first day slash first couple of weeks on the job? And then you've had like, I think this is your second job. So you can even distinguish between the two, like it the same um, for for both jobs that you've had.
4: Um, So I think I would advise you on your first day slash week to kind of um, take a minute to take it all in, um, to observe your surroundings, observe the hierarchy, how things work in your office, You don't want to be jumping over people and asking for uh, assignments or, you know, just not abiding by that culture in your office. So I would say um, just take a minute to take it in, figure out where you fit in in the hierarchy of your office um, and uh, to not put too much pressure on yourself. Um, Having a job out of law school is not The same as having an internship, which we know to be very uh, finite, we know when our internship is gonna end. Um, When you're employed, you're there for, you're in for the long haul. So just take your time, um, know that you're going to master um, the skills of lawyering and whatever you join that uh, particular workplace uh, to gain, you'll master those skills um, with time. So just be patient with yourself.
2: That's great advice, Candice, because I, I think it, you're right, you should observe. I think people just jump, jump in and start talking, but you do have to learn the hierarchy of the office and the office uh, norms, cultures, and practices, and each office will have a different norm. So I've had 14 jobs. Keep that in mind, every office is different. So good, good point, Candice. I think my next question will be for Mishka. Okay, what, what are some of the things you did in law school that helped you prepare for practice?
6: So I think with law school, there are a couple of key things. So one is if you can take advantage of internships as much as possible in the areas of practice that you're interested in or in one that you're borderline about um, and you just want to explore, I think the real life experience in those environments will really give you a sense of whether you like government work or, you know, private practice or whether you really like a particular practice area or not. I think it can be somewhat deceiving um, what a practice area is like versus that um, in-person experience if you want to be in court. There are some environments that you may not be in court within the next first few years or whatever the case may be and, and learning about just the practice itself and then the recognition of what the timeline looks like to achieve the goals that you wanna achieve. I think the other thing during law school is take advantage of all of the networking opportunities and different things on campus or elsewhere to build relationships with different attorneys who can give you insights about your academic career, your professional career, but also just general mentorship support and that network can work with you post-graduation.
2: Thank you. Um, I don't know if Al can answer a question. I think this is a good one for him. Al, can you answer a question? If not, we're gonna move on. Oh, perfect. Al can answer a question. I'm
5: in the house now. All right,
2: Excellent. So question for you is about training. Is is there formal training for new attorneys and what does that look like between private sector and public sector? I ask you this question because I know you left private sector big law firm. It seems like your jobs thereafter were in the public sector.
5: Yeah. So um, in the private sector, it's more uh, in the big law firm setting, which is where I was, training is more structured and regimented, right? So you go in, you have training sessions, they give you some assignments, some research assignments, but you go, you sit down and you have formal training sessions with your whole first year class. They bring somebody in from out of town and you know they're being paid. So they give you all these nice amenities and they give you you know, all this stuff. Say, here's a lunch for you and here's everything and here's the proper things that you should do. And um, a lot of it doesn't really give you much. <laughs> Uh, And when you go to the public sector, um, they kind of push you over the ledge and say, jump into the pool and uh, figure it out by experience. Um, So I saw a bit of a difference in that. Um, When you're in the public sector, you have more responsibility early. Uh, There's some training and, you know, mine was in criminal where, you know, you had a couple of weeks where they said, okay, here's um, the statute book. Uh, Here's the main statutes we charge here's the, um, you know, the way you would do a direct examination, let's put this together and practice at the end of the day. But in the meantime, you still had your own cases. Whereas in the law firm, it was more lean back on, you know how to do your research so you can do that while we teach you how to um, you know, interact with clients and how to uh, bring in business and how to bill and all uh, the kinds of things that we're doing. So uh, it really depends on where you're going um, as to what kind of training you get, but for the most part, Um, in the public sector is, you know, go in there and learn by experience, learn by doing, I should say.
1: Um, Al, I have a question in the chat that's directed to you. So maybe I could just just add on to this right now. Um, How how did you get licensed? What was the process for getting licensed in Illinois after practicing in New York?
5: Uh, So I was in, I was at the Manhattan DA's office when Uh, My family said we would move out to Illinois. So I started the process a bit early. Uh, The weird thing about Illinois back then uh, was you had to have taken the MPRE after you finished your second year of law school. And I had taken mine um, during my second year of law school. So I had a little battle uh, with the state of Illinois about that. Um, You know, hey, I took it maybe a couple months early. Like, what's the big deal here? Um, But really it was... Uh, the money <laughs> you had to pay that um, you had to get judge I had to get judges to uh, ascribe to my character um, I had to get defense attorneys that I had worked against uh, to talk about my character and then you just waved in um, I didn't have to take another bar or anything like that um, so now I I hold both licenses because I I you know I'm born and raised in New York and I'm not going to give that up so I keep my New York license and I also have my Illinois license too.
1: Thank you.
2: My next question is gonna be about mentorship, um, essentially around um, what should you do when you're unsure of where to start an assignment or, you have a roadblock, if you don't have a a formally assigned mentor? And I think I'm gonna shoot this one out to Serena. Mentorship, what do you do when you don't have a formally assigned mentor and you're having an issue with a assignment or, who you talk to?
3: Right for me. Um, when I started at my agency, I didn't have a formally assigned mentor. But in conversations, I learned that one of the deputy counsels also came from a court. So uh, she came from the Court of Claims, and we kind of we bonded over that issue. And so um, through our conversations, um, I found I trusted her, and I would go approach her um, if I had questions, or I'd email her, and I'd see her in the hallway. And so I, you know, we bonded over, over a certain um, similarity. So maybe finding a similarity with another um, attorney that you work with, or more senior attorney that can help you build the relationship. And then she also gave me the advice of, like when you're speaking or when you're emailing Your colleagues to not just say, you know, hi, well, you know, what is the assignment and just getting straight to the business, but sometimes starting with, you know, I hope you had a nice weekend, you know, how are your children? That's always a very safe question to ask someone, and people like talking about their children and their pets and things like that. And that helps build the relationship when you can, we can talk about um, things not necessarily related to work. And then when you have a work related question, it's easier to ask that question. So for me, I bonded with her. And then when I was at the Court of Appeals, I really bonded with one of um, the administrative staff, who was the only other Black person at the court when I was there, other than Judge Jones. And um, I kept getting emails that said, you know, retirement, retirement, retirement. And I was like, whatever. I don't know these people. You know, I just got here. I don't know them. Whatever. But then I finally read the email, and my friend was retiring. I was like, no! And I closed the office door, and I just started crying for 20 minutes. So when you know, you really build that relationship. So she was there for me, even though she wasn't an attorney. She was still like a listening ear. So you can bond with other people, Um, you can bond with senior attorneys and also with administrative staff.
2: I think Serena makes a very great point. I think as attorneys, sometimes we overlook the administrative staff in the office. And Serena's point is one, sometimes they're the only other people of color besides yourself. Then also, I think they know everyone extremely well a lot of times. They've been there for a long time. They know where the dead bodies are. They know everything. So if you can befriend them, be kind to them, get to know them, they can help you out. They can help you navigate. You know, people who are in bad moods or when to like, you know, just hide a little bit. So I think that's a great point, Serena. Do make sure you talk to your administrative staff. You are not better than them. They should be your friends, and you should uh, keep them close and make sure you buy them cookies because they are. They can be a really good, great people. I must ask that same question to Candace because Candace you're newer out when you as a newer attorney you know what's this your first second job when you have an issue with you need a mentor what what do you do where do you look? Um,
4: I look across and not up for uh, direction so I look towards people I I look to um, ask questions to people who are newly appointed to their position, and if their title is kind of similar to mine, I try not to um, just go directly to my supervisor, whoever um, gave me the assignment. Um, Again, that's about reading the room and kind of knowing um, how your office functions and works. Uh, But that's what I do. And I also lean on the administrative staff. I'm a very friendly person. When I get to a place that I'm unfamiliar with, Um, So it's really easy for me to latch on to um, support staff and they, like Jen and Serena said, they're very supportive and they'll help you um, navigate the office too. like don't go to that person they're a little, you know, not the best person to go to, or, um, you know, reach out to this person they might take you under their wing they really do know the staff so that's been helpful.
2: Thank you, Candace. Um, I think I'll set my next question to Mishka. This question is, if you don't have a recurring check-in with your supervisor, how often is it? How often should you stay in touch slash reach out to that supervisor if you don't have like a set time and day to talk to that individual? What, what would you recommend? What have you done? So I think it depends because we're also in the middle of COVID right now. So
6: I feel like um, it might look a little bit different if you're in person than when you're in this current environment. I think first and foremost, with a lot of these, some of these answers, you should really talk to your peers, whether it's your other associates, um, any of the admin staffed um, staff to get a sense of people's preferences and their work habits. So there are some people who um, really like to be left alone and um, they'd rather if you shot them an email if you wanted to talk to them or schedule all of your questions within a certain block of time. Whereas there are other people who are fairly fluid and you can tell from also watching them. Um, how they tend to engage with other people. So I think it's a mixture. I think there are some attorneys who um, I'm very comfortable with or typically will pop in and um, have conversations and engage in work questions. And there are others that maybe you'll check in with once a day via email or something of that nature. But I do think that you would at least uh, during COVID check in once a day, just you know make sure that nobody needs anything for the most part. Um, but I think that the most important thing is to ask if you're not really clear, especially when you're just starting, that might be the best time to ask and just find out what people's preferences are. And you can even ask the partner that you're working with what the preference is and then um, work from there.
2: Good answer, Mishka, I, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, I, I'm in a, or, you know, we're all kind of working virtually. So I don't check in with my supervisor, like, or in like my boss, like ever, unless mm-hmm. I have, unless something's like, a flame, I might go call them, but otherwise i like never check in. And I think if some of that is just, just trust. I think once you get a trust in a relationship with whoever your supervisor slash boss is and they know you're doing your, your work and you're diligent, a lot of you can just keep moving along. Um, and I find that I check in if I know something's about to blow up or I'm like, I gotta get this story in before it all goes astray. Otherwise, I think you're right. You gotta learn what your supervisor wants and sometimes the best way is to just ask them. I'm gonna ask Serena the same question. Because Serena, you're in a public, uh, the public sector in a bigger office setting. Um, what would you recommend to people?
3: Right, because when Mishka said check-in once a day, I was like, ooh, really? Ooh, yikes. But she's out of front. So I think if
6: you're brand new. <laughs> if
3: you're brand new. And it is different because I'm, I'm in government. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look at Michigan. She's got the big office. Okay. So (laughs) I'm looking at your background. It looks beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. but every office is different. And look, I've been at my agency for going on eight years. Okay. So it's a little bit different for me. Um, in my office, we went from six attorneys to two. Okay. And even though we're virtual, I go into the office maybe once a week, and they they know I'm working because I have all these deadlines and all these submissions and things going to the EEOC, the DHR. So you know, and and so my supervisor will send me working all that, and I used to respond, received, thank you, I'm on it, da da da. But then I just realized it's just the two of us, and he's so busy, and every time I send an email, it's another distraction. So I'm like, I'm not even going to respond to him, whatever. But it's about like learning, <laughs> learning, um. <laughs> You know, the person you're working with, but I will agree with Mishka when you're first starting out in your career in your office and you're learning You want to definitely be visible. You want them to know that you're there, you're ready to work. And I would say check in maybe every couple of days. I know that if I have an assignment, for example, I have something due on Monday. My supervisor is going, going to review it before I submit it. And I told him you know, I'll have it ready by close of business tomorrow. And he's like, Oh, thank you so much, you know, just to give him a heads up as to like how far things are coming along. So I would say when you first start, you definitely want to check in like at least once every three days. That's what I would say.
6: And actually, um, I was going to say very quickly just follow up on that. When you're in person that can look as we were just saying totally different because people see you walk in the office, you're present, they know you're there. And so the conversation changes when you're not remote versus people knowing you're at home. <laughs> I'm wondering sometimes, you know, um, whether you're there or not.
2: Thank you. I'm going to ask another question. This one isn't from the list. I just came up with it. Um, like I know Al, you did law review, and I'm not sure about everyone else. I just know Al because I was in law school the same time. Do you believe that things like law review journal? Um, let's say even like moot court how those things impact you in, in the workplace would you have done more would you have done less um what would what would you uh, what advice would you give to to uh, young attorneys
5: um take it like you know with with law review um, so i came into law school uh you know first generation lawyer and i don't think i took uh, you know the mentorship stuff uh real seriously i was happy to be there um you know, I got offered law review, and I kind of didn't really see the point of it when I first got offered law review. Um, I got on there. Um, you know, at, at some point, at one point, initially, I was like, uh, "This is more of a headache than than fun." Um, but it works out in the long run. Uh, what law review teaches you, it teaches you the writing. Um, you know, that's what our profession is. It, it's writing, right? And you know, unfortunately. Uh, or maybe fortunately, when people look at resumes and they look at these things, they look to see what you did when you were in law school, right? So uh, what activities were you involved with? How'd you get yourself going rather than just you know, going to class, going home and studying, right? Because if that's all you do, then you should have high grades, right? So, okay, you got law review. I did uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, roped me into the negotiation competition, right? Um, but I did it, it was fun, it was exciting. And now I can see, I see the value of it. I am mean, you know, a criminal, I'm a prosecutor, right? But I see the value of it. And I think, you know, some of that goes into further questions along when you kind of negotiate salary, right? Make somebody talk first so that you can counter rather than you talking first and having them counter you, right? Um, I did uh, moot court, uh, moot trial, the trial team. Um, and that was fun it, you know, I got to measure my skills I think against other attorneys in other schools And I think the the joy of doing the inter-school competitions is you can then get to see what other people are like outside of Albany Law School. You kind of fall into a position where you you compare yourself to others in your your class. When you get out of law school, now you're in there with people from other law schools. And then you realize we're all learning the same thing. And there's really nothing that puts me at a disadvantage or advantage over anybody else except for me and my work habits and my work study, right? Um, So I think all of that stuff it, it, it made me feel good coming out because I said, okay, I have this stuff behind me. And I went to a, a law firm, one of those top, you know, bigger law firms. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, we're we're all the same, right? Like, you know, okay, sure. What'd you learn first year in, in torts? It's the same cases I learned the first year in torts. And I was like, oh, but you went to Harvard. I was already law school. My loans are less, you got more, right? So, um, I, I that, and to move back to what Jennifer was saying, the activities, are helpful. And even if you don't see it now, even when, you know, man, I feel old, I graduated law school in 03, right? And when I wanted to come to the Department of Justice in 2006, when I submitted my application, it was, oh, you were on law review. I mean, sorry, not 2006, 2016. Oh, you were on law review. I'm like, well, that's 13 years ago, right? But they're still looking at that. Oh, you were in a negotiation competition. Tell me about that from 13 years ago. So if you have the opportunity to do stuff there, do it. Even if you even if right now you're like, I don't know. I don't I don't really see the joy of this, do it. Because later on it'll come into play and help you out.
1: Great. Hey Jennifer, can I say one thing
6: on that too? Yes. So I I and I know people who know me well know that I'm not a big check the box kind of person. And I don't believe in always doing things to check the box just to say you did it. However, um, he's absolutely right in terms of there are so many things that carry over where there's an expectation that if you did not do something, you're just not considered at all. And so as you do kind of talk to people and pursue certain opportunities, you really wanna be mindful of what you choose to do or not do. Because sometimes you'll have a really great opportunity in the future, and you'll realize that the only reason why you're not being considered is because there is that box that you didn't check when you were in law school or something that of that nature. So it's not that you do it just because of that, but just also recognize the decision you're making when you do choose to not do certain things that maybe you're advised to do otherwise.
3: And to piggyback on what Mishka is saying, um, I know that when I was clerking, um, I was told by supervisors in terms of. When they're reviewing applications, in order to be considered for clerkship, you needed to either be on a journal mm-hmm. or have done moot court, otherwise they would not consider you. Is you know what they what what I was told. Um, so mm-hmm. luckily I was on a journal. Um, I tried out for moot court and I didn't make it. Their loss. But uh, <laughs> and and Albert is absolutely right. Like when I was on the journal, I thought it was going to be fun. I don't know. I, th- I thought it was going to be great because it was a whole writing competition to get on it. And then they're like, well, here's these 100 citations and get it to us by next Wednesday. And I'm like, this is not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I checked that box, like Mishka said, and, and I also enjoyed like the competition. Um, I was on International Law Journal and um, there was like, I guess in Europe, they call it competition and, and something like that in terms of like, this is going back a few years. I can't remember. Um, what do you call it when you can't? Non-compete clauses or something—I can't remember—but anyway, we used to have big seminars, and I was able to help with that, so that—that that was a good part of the experience. But anyway, you do get good experience from being on mediation, negotiation, trial, advocacy. I know we have some negotiation champions in this room. I, I see you, and I think that uh, it's—it—they it, are really good skills to have. And then you also really learn time management. I think law students, when you're in law, when you're in law school. You really are an expert of time management because just think about everything that you're doing right now in terms of your classes, your writing, your you know your your internships, you know everything that you're doing, and then bar prep. It's like you're a wizard of time management. If you keep up that work ethic and that time management, you will absolutely have a successful career.
2: Thanks, everyone. Uh, my next question is going. I'm going to skip this one. That- that Al brought up and that's salary negotiation. That's a question on here. And what tips do you guys have for negotiating your first salary out of law school? Al, you brought it up. So I'm gonna start with you.
5: So um, I was just telling my wife this, uh, we were talking about this question. I was like, I haven't had to negotiate salary because it was like set for everywhere I went, right? But um, one thing, and that's why I brought up the negotiating part. Uh, we were talking about knowing your worth and understanding what you're worth. But the re- and the reason why I said in negotiations, you know, one thing I learned is you don't put that first number out is because what you'll see is one time I negotiated my salary. What you'll see is if you throw out a number and it's accepted like that, you were too low and there's no way to change that, <laughs> right? That's it. That's what your salary is. If you throw out that number and it's too high and the face turns a little bit, you were too high. So you you wanna have a conversation with the person in front of you, what it is that they're uh, they're seeking, what it is that you're bringing to the table and what it is that uh, you think that they're gonna give you. And as you're having that back and forth, you want them to put out that first number. And this is just, like I said, I haven't had a bunch of salary negotiations, but you want them to put out that first number. And when that first number comes to you, then you can work on it. You can work on it up, you can work on it down. You can tell them why you feel you need more than what that number is, or maybe the number is good for you. But if you put out that number first, you've put yourself in a box where they're either gonna accept it right away or they're gonna move, um, or they're gonna, they're gonna you know kind of look at it like maybe you're too high. So my advice would be um, try to have a conversation when you're talking about this stuff and see if your employer will give you a number first of what they're thinking. You gotta do your research, you gotta go across the board and see what kind of attorney you are, how many years out you are, big law firm, mid-sized law firm, small law firm, what that median is. And then you gotta have a number in your head. This is what I think I'm worth. This is where I think I need to go, but don't put it out first. And that would kind of be my advice on that.
2: Thanks. I want to get someone else. Anyone else have a, anyone else have any uh, tips for sound negotiation?
3: I was gonna say uh, one of my friends, um, she did uh, negotiate for a higher salary um at uh, in the public sector and they went back and forth and she did get the higher salary but realize that that if you do negotiate for a higher salary that they're going to expect you to do the work that that um that I guess makes it plain to them that you deserve that higher salary so what happened with this particular person was she negotiated for a higher salary and then later on she was terminated because they didn't believe that she was worth the extra money that that she asked for, so um, I just put that out as like a caution because they sometimes they do kind of put you under the microscope, like oh you know you're saying you're worth this much more, so prove it to us. And I'm sure I'm sure most I'm sure all of you, you know, you're ex- extremely hardworking and all of that and won't have that problem, but but um, sometimes you just have to be be wary about um, what you know demanding a higher salary can can lead to. For me, I never really had to um, negotiate my salary only because I came in through the government and when I was clerking was a set salary. Um, it was a nice salary at the court of appeal. So, you know, put that out there if anybody's interested in, in working there and it did increase, you know, with the state, you know, there were, there were um, definitely quality, um, yearly increases, cost of living increases. So, um, it's my two cents.
2: I would say I've negotiated salaries several times and, um, The first time I did it, I kind of just went blind based off what I believed I should get. It Mm -hmm. worked out perfect. What I didn't realize is that I set up a chain storm that I had no idea because I was the youngest person hired in a long time. And so the guy above me, I made more than him and he like figured it out and he was not happy. Well, not my problem, boss's problem on that one. So I would just say like, and I think I did it based on like, I did my own research. I looked around decided that I wanted this amount. I was going to work here. I felt like I was valuable and it was a while ago and I got what I wanted. I was surprised. I'm like, great for me. And then, and I feel like we're attorneys, right? If you're going to like fight for the people and advocate, yeah, advocate for yourself, number one, I think. And then I'd also say at my, another job, I, I, I had the um, non-public sector, I actually asked people, you should have really good friends within your um, arena. You can ask and talk about salaries. I'm not saying every day, but you have a sense of what people mm-hmm. make. That you know what you should be making. Like if I know X makes this amount, I should make this amount, and this is why. And I think that um, a lot of people are so quiet, you never know. But I, sometimes that's to your detriment. I have really good friends in the arenas I work, so I know what people make, and I can go in from like a knowledge basis of of uh, where the standpoints are and uh, advocate that way. And that's what I'd recommend too. So if you are kind of on the low, on the tone pole with your friends, ask them. You don't have to ask like people several steps ahead of you but at least have a sense. Um, that's what I'd recommend for salary negotiation. My next Jen, question- I have something to add.
4: So um, I also didn't have to do deal with salary negotiations because I'm in the state and I'm in a very unique situation because I went into the state as a fellow So you are not paid the regular salary as every other attorney in state government. So when it came time for me to apply outside of the fellowship arena, um, I did have to look to, I think several people on this line kind of helped me. Jennifer was one of them. And you hear Jennifer, she's very bold. She's like, I know what I want. I'm going to get this. I was not like that. So I needed to ask around and kind of figure out it sounds weird, but I had to use people around me to help me come up with what my worth was and what I should be asking for and what the, the offer should be. So I'm going to carry that over when I do um, leave state service, but yes, ask your, your peers and um, people above you.
2: Yeah. And I was glad Candace, came to me because I'm the first one to say, I think you're worth this. Go in and ask. All people tell you is no, who cares? It's a no. It's not like, you know, they're crushing your heart. It's a no counter. And keep going. And not only like that, I think you should negotiate for all kinds of stuff. Parking. I negotiate for all kinds. Everything I want. A, a window. Random stuff. If this is what I need to make myself happy, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask for it. And I think you lose out and you don't ever ask. It's one thing if you're in the public sector, maybe you can't get a window. It's just that's what the office looks like. But if you're in the private sector, get a window. Make sure to have your favorite snacks. Go for it. I
5: think, my- I, I think I get, I think I get prosecuted if I asked for like snacks and stuff and <laughs> like, I don't think I could do
2: that. <laughs> my last job and my favorite snacks, popcorn and uh, almonds. And I asked for it. It's just like, why not? If you have to be somewhere for a long time, be happy there.
6: Actually, and can I add one last thing? I was just going to say benefits, Je- Jennifer, because I agree with you. That was going to be my thing. Don't forget benefits. Like some of these places will offer you money and then you look at their benefits. And you have to, you need retirement, you need good medical insurance, like all of these things. And they'll like slip some not so great thing under the rug. And you think that you're getting, you know, a lot of money, but then you're paying a lot in benefits or something, or you don't have great retirement, they don't match. So it's not that you can't compromise on those things, but pay attention to them because they matter for you. That's money on the table.
2: Exactly, exactly. So... I think my next question is how important is it to get involved in out-of-office activities especially when you're new hire? so like happy hours lunches etc how important is it to get involved in um uh out-of-office activities I'm going to start with Serena because I know the public sector seems to always have a, a happy hour slash something that's out of office so I'll yeah, start with-
3: when I was at the Court of Appeals at, at, at my current agency, you know, not, you know, I guess they have like big cultural days and, and programs, et cetera, but not so, you know, not so much of the fun stuff. Um, I, I, I remember when I first um, started working there right after law school, I did enjoy, um, we sit outside and, and eat. You know lunch together and I would always make sure I did that and they took us to the baseball game um, Detroit Valley cats, I guess. Um, And, you know, it was nice and and they definitely wanted full participation from all of the the new clerks and they paired us with um, the more senior clerks and then they used to have um, um, Clerks coffee and you got a chance to speak to the judges and, and it was nice. And it was, it was very highly recommended that you go so that you can put a name with your face because sometimes that, that's the only opportunity to do that. With happy hour, I would definitely like careful about happy hour. You don't wanna to get too happy during happy hour. Um, I would definitely limit it to, to if you drink, cause a lot of people don't and cheers to you who don't. But if you do uh, imbibe, it's good to like limit yourself to one drink because you know some people get a little bit too happy and you do not want to be that person I would say not so much up here in Albany because by the time I you know by the time I started my career you know you know I was I was more mature but when I was in law school because I went to law school in New York City I don't know if that's clear from from my intro um I I came to Albany after after I graduated in 2010 and you know in the summers we would have all kinds of like private rooftop Happy hours and stuff. And, and um, again, I often saw examples of why you should be very careful about doing. It. Stay for an hour and then leave. That's what I say. Stay for 60 minutes, make the rounds. Hi, how you doing? Happy to be here. To well. New attorney, et cetera. And then leave. Uh, opt for the coffee, all right? And I will say, I'm also um, I'm an active member of the Albany County Bar Association with Mishka um, on the Diversity Internship Program. And I like the, the coffees in the morning because in the morning, very few people or less people attend. So you have more of an opportunity to speak directly to more of like the senior staff or whoever you're trying to build a relationship with because it's less, less noisy, there's no alcohol and it's less attended. So you get their attention and you get to be in all the pictures. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I say participate but don't get too happy during happy hour.
5: Can I, can I answer some of that too? I'm gonna back mostly what Serena's saying. Um, and I told Mary I was gonna say this and I didn't say this in the beginning. Um, I work for the federal government, but these opinions are all mine. Uh, They're not the opinions of the federal government. Um, understand that when I talk to you, but I'm gonna tell you um, what I believe, right? I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, what Serena's telling is absolutely true, right? You, There's the way life should be and there's the way it is, right? You absolutely have to go out um, and socialize right um, I went to I went to a, a, a law firm named Clifford chance right And it's an international law firm and uh, in my first year class there were three of us that were black right um, and it was 36 of us that were in the class right so. When people went out to these things, they got into partners' faces, right? You talk to them and I don't, I, I sip alcohol, right? I don't drink alcohol. I don't even like, I don't like white wine. I didn't like red wine until that point because I had to learn to like a little bit of red wine, right? I drink a lot of Coca-Cola, um, but you have to get out there because what winds up happening is there's 30, there were 36 of us and the assignment should be individualized, right? But I was interested in white collar crime which was hard to break into. So you have to talk to the white collar crime partners because what they'll tell you is they'll talk to you they'll laugh with you and they'll say oh when something comes in i'll remember you so when something came in instead of going through the assignment system they'd say oh al told me he was interested in white collar crime when we went to that yankee game okay and then next thing you know here's a call and you can come and you can step in and when it comes to to government um you know it's, it's the federal government and you think that a crime comes in and it's just here, you're going to do it. But what winds up happening is when you're dealing with agents and you become friendly with agents, when they get something that they think is good, because you've spoken to them before and you know them, they come to you. And it's just natural. They People flow and flock to individuals that they like. So um, my advice would be, you know, you don't have to go overboard. If that's not your personality, you don't need to be that way. But you go for a little bit talk to a couple of people and then take off. Right. And when I was at the Manhattan D's office, I had newborn kids. So I'd go a little bit and I'd say, all right, you know what? I got to take off. Oh, where are you going? You know, oh, I got to add it. You know, my, my daughter, my, I gotta go, you know, watch my daughter so my wife can go do something. Nobody's going to beat you for that, but you go there, you make your face and you make yourself known. And I absolutely agree. You know, just when you, when you go to drink, just don't uh, know your limit. <laughs> Otherwise you'll be the person that they talk about all the time. And you don't want to be that story.
6: I have one other thing to add on that too. Um, related to um, just the concept of the things people talk about in those environments are both professional and personal. And so, as people were talking about getting to know the people in your office, the places that I've really gotten to know different people in certain offices are the holiday parties, the bar. Like those environments because who they talk about what they talk about the gossip the whatever it is you can also get a sense of who you can trust and who you can't trust who you can bond with and things of that nature sometimes in those more casual environments where it's everything's not as stuffy and it's not as professional
2: yeah i think those are all really good points like i myself personally i love to run not everyone loves to run but i do so I'm like the office queen of the corporate challenge. I will organize yes. it, buy the shirts, and get the whole team to sign up. I love it. Now they think they don't like it, but they love it. And that's a great way to bond. And like people will remember you. And I remember one firm just wanted to hire me because they were so happy a diverse corporate challenge team. Really, a diverse corporate challenge team. That's what made them excited because no one else, no other females, want to run. But me, they're like, you want to run? Yes. Like, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> when is it? So. And it's, so pick something you like too. So if you like something, it's even more fun to bond with people because you like gives you a complete connection with them that you never had before. Because the people I was running with, some people I never talked to in my life, but we can at least talk about running in our times and why we enjoy it. So gives you another conversation starter, kind of like what everyone else said. My next question is going to be on diversity and inclusion. And in your office settings and workplaces, how has diversity and inclusion impacted you? I'm going to start with Al. Because he was at a law firm, and we read so many great stories about how diverse and so much. Information <laughs> that they have. So Al, <laughs> let's get your opinion
5: first. What do you mean? Every place I've been, it's been you know, it's been a whole <laughs> bunch of us just sitting around a table, and it's so it's so it's so great. Uh, it's it's different. Uh, you go there, you're the only uh, you're the only black face a lot of the times. Um, even now, uh, you think in the federal government. Uh, um, you know, you guys are in New York, but Chicago has a carjacking problem, right? So um, recently we, you know, created this task force and it's the carjacking task force. And um, my office was, was, I guess, nice enough to say, hey, you know, Al, we want you to be the federal, the representative for the Northern District of Illinois. And I went into a room with, um, you know, uh, assistants, assistants in charge of different federal agencies and Chicago police department and everything, and I was the only black face there. Right, um, and that's just that's just something you you know I I got used to right. But I don't diversity to me is a is a lot of different things right. There's, um, diversity, in, uh, There's diversity in your gender. It's diversity in sexual orientation. It's diversity in your background. Um, you know, my background is I grew up in the projects, so I know that I won't find many people that have that background. And I'm just comfortable in my skin, right? So, for me, I had to find a way to get comfortable around these things. And um, I started at the law firm where, you know, there were three of us in my first year class, and then uh, the other two left me there by myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it just, it just, it's just, it's just something that's just there. It's tough, um, but people, I think there's a lot of. Uh, partners and senior lawyers that see that and understand the difficulties of it. Um, I think I was lucky enough to be, come out of law school in a time that's not like the good old days. Um, and it's not necessarily as diverse as it is now, but I was kind of in the middle where people understood the struggle uh, that I had as an African-American male coming up in society and just in, as being a lawyer. Um, sometimes it's a little over the top uh, where they're, you know, they're offering um, words of, kind, of kindness. Um, so that can be problematic, but um, you learn that you learn to live with it. You know, my, my wife is in a, is in a position too, where she's the only black face. So we talk about it a lot. And sometimes when you get into these situations, you just need somebody to lean on and somebody that you can talk to about it to keep you sane and keep you level. Um, and that's how I get through all of it. I, you know, um, it doesn't, the, the, if somebody's racist in these recent days, they haven't done it to my face. So um, that's the I guess the best part that I can say about that, um, but when you get out there, it's going to be places where you're the only uh, minority in the group. Uh, you know, you're the only person that's that's um, that has a different kind of. It's not a white male. I just put it point blank. Um, but you you learn to go with it because you have to. Um, I don't know if that really answers much of the question. Uh, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can about it, not sugarcoated in any kind of way. Um, but it hasn't been bad. I mean, you know, I've the law firm. You have some little racist things that happen there, um, but I got out of there and I didn't want to stay, so I left and I went somewhere else. Um, so you you learn you learn what you can live with, you learn what you can't, and you do what's best for yourself. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to see um, other people uh, or a majority of minorities, which is why we're minorities, but a majority of people that look like you in a
6: room.
2: Anyone else want to add anything to that uh, question?
6: I can add something a little bit about just like figuring out your own personal and professional balance. Um, I know, you know, different students, some of them have concerns about, you know, what can I tolerate and sleep at night, Um, which is often a question that can be asked, especially over the past year. Um, But then also, you know, what do I do when I think that my professional career might be compromised because I'm not getting the opportunities that I need in order to grow. And so I think it's multifaceted. I think it's, you know the culture might not be great, but but at the same time, maybe you're getting the opportunities that you need in order to transition eventually and getting the work or the experience that you need. and and sometimes you're um, the work and experience, you know the culture is great, but you're not getting the work and experience. Um, and we know that both of those things are related to that diversity and inclusion issue. And so really pay attention to both, I want to say. Um, really understand them both and so even when one isn't great look at the other and try to navigate through those until um, and then figure out when the best transition time is but try to take advantage of either one and if neither is there you know that's tough too but I would say also make you know find mentors and support systems whether within or outside of your firm to try to help you Um, navigate through that. Because I think the greatest challenge a lot of firms have is just the authenticity of relationships and like their diversity initiatives. So you're just going to have to work through some of those as they try to figure those things out.
3: I would say in terms of like obstacles, I haven't really had... a lot of obstacles uh, with diversity and inclusion because I was working at the Court of Appeals and there was a focus on fairness and and injustice um, and and then at my agency it's very progressive and um, we have a whole racial equity learning exchange etc but recently I was defending the agency um, against a private um, attorney who has a you know partner has a big big uh, reputation and I was at the office and it was a fancy office and this is like about two months ago, and I'm there dressed in full suit, you know, I'm tall and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely professional. And two times while I was waiting to be let into the room for the deposition, one white male attorney came out and said, who's your attorney? And I said, I'm the attorney. I represent New York state, right? And then a white female attorney comes out and she goes, um, are you a witness? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, why? <laughs> that it had not happened to me at all in my career, not out loud anyway. And twice, and I'm telling you, I was wearing a full suit. Okay. I had I had the binders, you know, like attorneys, we have those accordion binders. And they asked me, Am I the witness? Oh, that threw me off. So each time one of these attorney, one of them came in, I said, I am the attorney. I'm here for the deposition. And I said it loud, and so I feel like you just have to let your, you know, your your presentation and your skills speak for themselves because when we went into the room and they watched how, you know, I comported myself during the deposition, how professional I was. I don't think that they'll make that mistake again in terms of just assuming that if you see a, a black person in the lobby of a fancy law firm, that I absolutely have to be the witness or you know the plaintiff or whatever you know. So that just kind of do me off guard. And um, I was gonna write a post on Facebook, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do it. But anyway, so that might happen in your career, but just you know say it loud, loud and proud. I'm the attorney. I'm here for the deposition. This is my client. Is New York State. My client is whomever it is. And then let your actions, you know, show and prove you know, your skill
2: and represent. <laughs> I think that's a really good uh, point, Serena. Um, I think in terms of diversity, I think even for myself, I think I deal more diversity sometimes of thought. I do a lot of criminal justice work. Um, I'm a lobbyist at, uh, and uh, I was at a firm where I was the only African-American and um, I found sometimes that my, my firm and myself, sometimes we thought differently and it was sometimes even my boss. And I remember one time were have our conversation and he said something i was like i think something totally different i'm like should i say something i'm like yeah i am when they hired me they read my resume you saw where i came from you should have known my thoughts mm-hmm. here i come so sometimes you have to think to yourself is this the moment to say what you want to say or should you keep it inside and i was like no this is the point that needs to be made this is what i represent this is why i'm here this is my client's issue and so i'm gonna say it but you have to decide for yourself um if it's worth that moment and i think it can be tough sometimes when you're weighing that but I feel like personally, like, I don't want to work for anyone who's closed-minded in the first place. And if, if what I have to say, because it's not going to be unprofessional, it's something that you don't like, we're, I'm an attorney. We're going to discuss as attorneys. You might have a different viewpoint. And I understand that. But if it's that serious, then that's probably not the place for me anyway. So just to put that out there. Oh, I'm like actually, actually- oh. We're coming to a close soon. It's going to be on imposter syndrome. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? And how did you deal with it? I'll start with you, Serena, because I think this is a question that you might want to take first.
3: Um, honestly, not really. I don't know if that sounds weird. <laughs> not really. Only I mean, I was I've been extremely nervous. Like when I just began, you know, teaching for the first time as an adjunct professor last year for Albany Law, I was extremely nervous. Maybe, maybe the first couple of days I probably felt that way. But then I just I just dove into the the text and material. And 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 just and just covered myself in that. And then the, the students are amazing, especially this year. I have a couple of a couple of them here. Um, so yeah, I don't think I'm the best person to answer this question. I'm sorry,
2: Candace Do you have any thoughts on this question? I have a lot.
4: Yes.
0: <laughs> um,
2: so I
4: would say um, when you do feel this way um like you don't belong or um i don't know you you're trying to figure out why you are where you are um and just trying to figure out where you fit in um it's important to acknowledge them and not necessarily run from those thoughts that you're having understand um why it's holding you back from doing your job or you know um, where where it originates from and then also to reach out to um your friends or family who can kind of help bring you back and uh, recenter you. Um, so what was the question that we were answering before this? There was something Diversity on inclusion. Okay, yes. Yeah. So um, I have always been the only person of color uh, attorney in the offices that I've worked in. And sometimes you sit around and like the meetings and stuff, you know, look around and just by, seeing that you're the only person of color there you can think why am i here i don't belong here um, and it's just important to have uh, bar associations help me a lot um, the black and hispanic puerto rican bar association um, it's good to have others in the field who can kind of really back in even though they might be feeling some of the same things you you're feeling um, sometimes it's easier to give advice instead of taking your own advice. And you just um, kind of lean on others around you and uh, take stock and while you're there and know your worth, it all ties in.
2: Oh, Al. Um,
5: I, I like to say you, you should talk to people that are kind of on the same level as you. Um, and when you talk to those people, you'll realize they know as much as you do, or less than you do, right? There's a there's a there's a thought process that you know. The higher you go up, the more these people know what they're doing. The dirty secret is a lot of them don't know what they're doing, right? Um, you get up there and you talk to you start talking to them, and you're like, you don't know what's going on, right? Um, I I was at trial recently. And you know these attorneys, they they you know they, the way they write is so great. And then you stand up there at trial, and you're you're running over top of them because they don't really know what they're doing, right? Trial, it doesn't sound right. Objection. What's your what's your basis? Uh, 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 uh. And I hate to say it, but sometimes when people do that, that makes you feel better, right? Oh oh, I I see. It's not really that, right? So if you if you put in the the work behind it. You know what's coming, I'm a trial attorney. I know what's gonna come at the end of that is a trial and I'm trying to take away someone's liberty and I have a defense attorney that's fighting for someone's liberty. Where's the pressure, right? The pressure's on that person. So I can ease up a little bit on my pressure point, my pressure point one. And two, you'll always ask yourself the questions you don't know the answer to. So when you're in your own head, and you're talking to yourself no one ever says man what is two plus two i just don't know the answer to that right you're going to ask yourself what happens if this you know witness goes south and says this or that i don't know what i'm going to do and the reason you're asking yourself that question is because you don't know what to do so understand the way the mind works is the mind is trying to the mind is trying to find ways out of things and it's going to it's going to find what you don't know the answer to so just do the things you know the answer to do what you know best I think you can overcome the thought of the imposter syndrome, right? People, um, you're all at the, I don't care what school you go to. You know, I had a, when I went to the law firm, I started out that way, right? I'm at this law firm with Harvard, Yale, Stanford, man, they must know more. And then, like I said, you talk to them and you're like, oh, you really don't know that much more, right? You start doing the research and you're like, and they're asking you questions, right? And you're like, oh, you don't, you don't, know, you know, the Manhattan DA's office. You don't know what a predicate felon is. No, tell me. And then you're telling them stuff, and you're like, oh, now I understand how this works. So just if you start to talk to people, you understand that what you're thinking in your head isn't so crazy. They're thinking the same thing. They're not better than you. They don't know more than you. Um, I think it was uh, listen, Professor Siegel that did a uh, criminal, um, uh, New York crim proceed, New York crim procedure. Um, I always take what he said, and I'm sorry, I'm old, so (laughs) he's slipping me a little bit, but uh, him and Professor Prizer, who did criminal procedure law, they both told me the same thing, which was, I became an expert in this. You know how I became an expert? Because I read the book twice. I carry that with me everywhere I go. You read it twice, next thing you know, you know more than half, 75% of the people, because they didn't read it at all, they read half of it, or they read it once. So if you feel that you're you're um, you know you're, you're going into a situation and you're not as good as somebody else, make yourself good as good as they are. Read it again, you know um, you know just prepare yourself for it. And you're never going to know all the answers, and that's just that's just the way it is. It's just it's just life. You're just not going to know all of it. And when you don't, like for me, a judge is there. You know, no judge. Can I have some time to think about it? Or don't be afraid of silence. I'll keep quiet. You think I'm thinking. Uh, you know, can I, can I come back to you on that answer? Don't just make it up, just think about it and everybody will understand. I think you'll be all right. Sorry for being that's so- a,
2: No, that was a great answer. I think that's a great answer. You're right. I mean, a lot of people don't, don't do any research at all and they're asking you basic questions you think they know what they're doing they have no clue and just the fact that you did some research and you know where it is and you have some history on something you can truly beat them on that alone i love that answer al well and i think um those are all the questions thing, i oh had God, I think.
5: like the, just you just said that one thing you learned that you sit there somebody will write a brief and you'll read the case and you'll be like that's not what the case says where'd they get that from just just you just read it and you'll just be amazed at how much further ahead you are to read it sorry go ahead jennifer
2: Oh, no, no. Great. No, you're right. I, I, like I said, I agree. People do not do uh, a lot of background or research. And I think that's what gives us an edge as attorneys, because I think we're automatically, innately uh, in tune to, to research. And I, I think that's really good. I think those are all my questions. I don't know if Mary has any from the general chat, but.
1: Yep. So there's one question in the chat right now. And it is, for all of the panelists, did you feel ready for your first job after completing law school?
3: For me, I did because um, I was with the group. So because I was clerking and, and there were six of us in, in the group, I wasn't, you know, in there by myself. So, um, and then we worked closely with with a certain um, of our supervisors. And then also because, you know, I knew it was reading and writing, and you know, and that's what we do, and all of that. I did, I did feel prepared. And also my supervisor, you know, she was just amazing. She when. You know, during my interview with her, I had, I had a very good interview with her and then, and during the interview, she said, oh, I'm, I'm like, she, called, she said, I'm, I'm like a mother, I'm going to be like your mom. And so that made me feel um, like I could go to her if I needed advice. And I knew that I had just done all this writing and writing competition and, and all of this work. I know that um I think Albert mentioned um, clinics like mediation negotiation. I did the securities arbitration clinic. I did a lot of different experiences in law school. And I think Mishka mentioned earlier that every single experience you have in law school, all of your internships, your externships, um, clinics, competitions, you you pull from that experience. You really do pull from that experience. You might be surprised that you're using something from one of your competitions in, in your work um, early on, so so I did feel confident. And a quick funny story: my mom, she called me on the first day. She's like, "Oh, how did it go?" I said, "I went, I went great." She goes, "Are you the only black person? You know, how parents are. She, you know, she wanted to know that." And then like I'm in the office with my supervisor. I'm like, "Uh, yes, I'll talk to you later." But anyway, long-winded answer is I did feel um, prepared.
5: I'll go. Um, My answer is opposite. No, I did not feel prepared. Um, uh, They didn't teach you where to file the stuff in law school and teach you where the courtroom is um, in the building. Um, When I was at the law firm, I didn't feel prepared. Uh, When I got to Manhattan DA's office, I didn't, uh, not the first day, um, because I just didn't know where anything was. I didn't know what I was going to do, what the assignment was going to be, you know. you hear all this stuff in criminal law, you file the complaint, then there's an arraignment, then there's this, well, where, where, you know? Um, where's the person coming from, you know? And then you get to the federal government, they're like, you make sure that the defendant's there. How, right? <laughs> I don't know how to do any of this stuff, um, but you learn it. Um, and you have to be, you have to understand that uh, you, you gotta be willing to make a mistake here and there. Um, the people that succeed understand that they're gonna. They may make a mistake one way or another. Um, they're minimal mistakes, and you know how to correct it, right? So, my first days, and this goes back to what uh, Jennifer and everybody was talking about earlier. Um, you know, when you learn the uh, staff, right, and the uh, paralegals, and you're friends with the uh, legal secretaries, right? I follow them around the first day because they know where everything is. They know how to get everything. They know where to file everything. They know which partner to talk to, which partner not to talk to. They know which one's in a good mood and when he's not in a good mood. You know, you can knock on this door. This one leaves to go to lunch here and goes there. So that's what I did. That's how I kind of got myself ready. Um, And that took a little bit. Uh, It took about a week or so, and I started to feel comfortable. But initially, I didn't um, because I just it was the unknown. Um, but as long as you have to, you have to steal for it, you'll, you'll, you'll get comfortable after about a couple of days to a week, I think. That's, that's the way I felt about it.
6: So um, if I can add to that, I'll speak on behalf of a student who I connected with a couple of days ago, um, who is in big law down in New York City. And the feedback that I was told was A, I thought that a month was hard for the kind of projects I was doing in law school. And then I get an email at night at eight o'clock and ask have it be asked for in the morning and so it's the timelines are really different which they felt like the preparation wasn't quite the same for but then also things like technology and learning all the systems and the drafts and the editing and I have to do this excel spreadsheet I never had to use excel before my life and it's just assumed that I know all of these different um, operational systems and and programs and so I think also just from as he was saying from a different side of the practical aspect of it. Being a lawyer, there are just all these eclectic things that um, you do, programs you use, um, things you're going to have to learn that takes time. And just, I think when that's all presented to you at once in, in the very beginning on the first day or within the first month or so, it can be overwhelming a little bit because some of those things were never really on your radar, but they're just instrumental and critical. You need to learn those systems and those technologies and things in order to do your job and do it well beyond the law. So it's the non-legal things sometimes that you don't really realize or think about.
4: Yeah, I didn't feel prepared either for my first job. And now that I'm being hired as like a full-time employee and not a fellow, I still don't feel prepared. And I've been here for a year. So I don't know when it's going to change for me. But I do know that um, the biggest thing for me is uh, being fearful of um, coming off as like not being prepared or uh, not knowing how to answer a question, not knowing where to look. Um, Those are the things that kind of give me anxiety. Um, But I often have to remind myself that um, the people who I am working with have been in this profession for a very long time. A lot of them still have questions as was said uh, previously. And it's okay to make mistakes, um, know how to fix those mistakes or come with a solution. But um, those are some of the things that I had to uh, or constantly have to remind myself of um, even now. So I did not feel prepared though.
2: (laughs) I actually felt prepared. I guess I'm gonna disagree. I did, I felt I started, my first job was at a, a clerkship and I felt like I knew so much more than I thought I knew. I didn't realize when I got in with all these other people how much i knew i thought because i hated law school i hated every day of it i was like this is terrible law school should just die but i love practice and like i said my first day i was there I was like oh my gosh i'm smart and i thought i was i am really smart um i mean they, they didn't teach you like some like this is where the books are but it was like they taught me enough to like have like really good conversations with people early on and just like crap like crush them i didn't i didn't think i was you know i didn't i didn't know i think i'd be able to do that but i felt prepared and i and think kind of what Mishka said in terms of learning about the other systems, always be open to asking people. I do legislative Mm -hmm. history. One of my friends had to do something on, I guess in her brief, something about legislative history. She had no clue. She called me up. No one ever calls me because no one cares. And she's like, Jen, I need to figure out the chapter amendment from, you know, 1998 to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, let's go. And I was so excited. And we figured it out together. But I would have called her. She doesn't match a lot, match more law. If I had an issue, I would have definitely called her. So look to your peers because a lot of times you keep people around to do different things, you know, you never know when they'll come, come in handy to be able to help you.
1: Great. I see that we have um, one more question in the chat and we are way over time. Um, so I unless anyone is opposed, I'm gonna put this out as the last question uh, for the evening. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Um, so the question is, it is not a small question. (laughs) It is, um, how have you dealt with uncomfortable conversations in situations where someone either made you uncomfortable or offended you address those conversations? Well,
3: I'll say I was recently on a, conference call and I felt emboldened to speak up because I've been participating in so many webinars, um, um, especially in the last few months um, with everything going on in America, in America and the killing of George Floyd and the country really coming to a reckoning. And there's been so many different like diversity, equity, inclusion Mm -hmm. panels and speaking up panels. So I had just seen, I had just participated in one and gotten a lot of good lessons. And then I was on a call There were probably, I think there were about eight people on the call. It was myself and another person of color. I think she's a Latina. And um, um, a Caucasian woman said something like disrespectful. um, And I was gonna let it go, kind of like Jen mentioned earlier in terms of you ask yourself, should I say something? But because I was just on the panel uh, and and the topic had come up, I said, I have to say something. And so I said, I, I didn't appreciate Um, the comment that was made, the other person of color um, agreed with me. And then the other, we had another um, Caucasian woman who was in a leadership position and she also agreed with what I was saying, but then someone else disagreed. And so I had to, I had to reemphasize my point. So it wasn't enough for me to just say it once. I had to say it again because it was getting away. And, And I just felt emboldened and I felt courageous because of these types of conversations. And I felt that it was serious enough that I needed to say something and it was addressed and the person apologized and then later on um, one of my um, supervisors who is a Caucasian woman said you know it took a lot of guts for you to speak up in the call because there were eight people some very senior people and it I'm glad that you spoke up because it was an important issue that needed to be addressed so it's just figuring out whether or not you think it's worth it to raise the issue and then raise it confidently, um, you know, take your time, you know, if you need to speak slowly, speak slowly, and, and then um, just be bold, like boldness is, is important. Um, I had a mentor who said, you know, what would you do if you were 10 times bolder, you know, so just keeping that in your mind and, and staying true to yourself. And if you feel it's important enough, um, you should, you should speak up. Um, it may have been easier because we were on the phone, I wasn't looking at faces. If I was looking at faces, I may have been a little bit um, you know, less courageous in that moment, but it was important enough for me to take the risk.
6: Um, I guess, oh, go there you go. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, well, all I was gonna say very quickly, and I agree with Serena. Um, the I think one nuance is that, you know, I think in those moments too, you kind of assess, is this something that I want to address in this very moment under these circumstances in this group? um, Or is this something that I want to address or need to address with the individual or a couple of individuals involved or is this even something that needs to be addressed in a different way, beyond just talking about it in those circumstances? And so I think there is um, that mental analysis in that moment, um, as she was saying, in terms of what you wanna say and how, but also figuring out what's the best way to address that issue, um, and sometimes it's more appropriate in public um, in that space. And sometimes it's very specific to an individual and it's gonna take a, deep, de- take a deeper conversation than just um, a person or a statement and that it needs to be addressed beyond that um, as well. And sometimes you need to loop in a third person or somebody to say also, just so you know, beyond this unique situation or this conversation, this happened and this is a bigger issue that needs to be addressed beyond that group or that
0: situation.
5: Um, I hope this is gonna be helpful. I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm a person that's uh, not afraid of confrontation. Um, I do better opposite of Serena. I do better face-to-face than I do over the phone. Um, and for me, there's power in that um, because there's not a lot of people that will do things confrontationally or, you know, in confrontation, I don't mean like angrily, but just face-to-face. Um, So in situations where things have been said or things are a little off color, um, I'll use facial expressions and I force myself to not be afraid of silence. So something said to me and it's a little off color, I'll pause for a while. And that my my thought process is to put the uncomfortable nature back on the person that's making you uncomfortable. Um, And that's my power, I switch it on. I wanna make you uncomfortable and I'll just give a, you know, an eye raise. I'm not as good as the rock, you know, kind of the eyebrow, whatever, but I'll just kind of give a, a, a little head tilt. So I'm talking to you this way. So says something a little off color and then my expression may change a little bit now. Tilt a little bit. And that triggers for me in their, in their head, they get triggered with, oh, well, I, uh, uh, and then here comes the backtracking, right? And now they're going to start apologizing to me and they're going to start telling me, oh, I didn't mean it that way. It's this and that. And now I'm in a better position to actually talk to that person about why I felt the way I felt. Um, But I I forced myself to be okay with face to face confrontation. If somebody's going to to me, if somebody is going to say something um, that can insult or hurt me, then I can say anything back that would do the same. And I'm not trying to go tit for tat or do anything like that. But if if you don't know because of ignorance, not ignorant being a bad word, but just not knowing that that's troublesome, then I don't want the next person behind me to have to experience that. So I'm going to tell you about it, right? And I'm going to tell you in a nice way if we're, if we're nice to each other. If you're not nice to me, I'm not going to tell you in a nice way. Um, but I just, I try to take my, the things that people have um, against, me as a a six foot one, 195 pound black prosecutor, and I turn it on them. I close spaces. So if somebody's far away from me and they're making me feel uncomfortable, I'll do the head tilt and then I'll take steps towards them. Now I'm in their space and now they're uncomfortable. So now you're gonna have to listen to me and I take my power back. Um, So I do little things like that, kind of nonverbal things. I don't, you know, there's very rare occasion my voice goes up or down, I modulate my tone. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, change expression, change cadence. And for me, those are the things that make somebody understand that what they just did was a little off color, a little wrong. Um, and I, you know, I, and like I said, that's why I said, I don't know if that'll be helpful because it was a retraining once I got into the, um, into the private sector and the public sector to understand that I can speak up and there won't be any repercussions towards me for that. Um, and so I do that, I do that now. And I'm not ashamed to do that if something comes forward. Um, So that's kind of i I hope it's good advice in some kind of ways but i feel like you should you should make yourself comfortable in uncomfortable situations and then turn it to make that person uncomfortable because that's the biggest payback for me that i can have because now you're scrambling and you're uncomfortable so that's kind of my way to deal with it and i will say as a prosecutor (laughs) i've been called the defendant about four or five times in a suit in a suit, out of a suit, in Timberlands or whatever, I'd even had it happen by a judge. And a judge said, you have to go stand over there. And I was like, I don't. Just hold on a second. And she's like, no, you go over there. And I'm like, wait, one second. Albert Berry for the state of Illinois. And now who's uncomfortable? Is it me or is it the judge? Because I just stood there, right? And now you have an uncomfortable judge. What is he going to do? You're going to hold me in contempt because you found me wrong? No, you're not. You're not going to do that. So that's why I say I take things and I turn it and I make the uncomfortable nature the other way, um, because I'm not going to cowtop you I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, yes, judge, I do belong over there. Oh, yes, judge. No, no, no. If you just give me a moment to explain to you, no, let's, let's hold off. I'm comfortable with silence. So let's hold off. Let's wait till the real defendant gets in here. And I sat there in silence. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people, right? Because it's silent. You just sit there. Could you go over that way? One second, judge. You're starting to feel queasy and a little. Oh man, this is uncomfortable. And that's how the judge started to feel. So that's 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 for me. That's my power, and that's how I I, I take it there. Sorry, I talked too much.
1: No, well, that's that's great and terrific advice. So does anybody else have anything to add? Okay, I see that we're running a little bit behind here, but this was incredible and so valuable. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so deeply appreciative of all of our panelists who have participated this evening and all of our students who have come to to hear their advice and words of wisdom. Um, I hope we can do this again soon because this was really a wonderful informative panel. Thank you all so much, and have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone.